0: Powered through the Alaska Airlines studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app.
1: Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go
2: now. The Cougs have arrived. They are a number seven seed in Joe Lunardi's Friday Bracketology and first place in the Pac-12 after taking down, Curtis, no offense, your Arizona Wildcats in Tucson last night. Congratulations to the Cougs. That's where we're starting the show. Taylor Jacobs is back there as a Coug. So excited. I'm not even a Coug, and I'm excited for them. Now, as an independent viewer, I'm a Husky, Mm -hmm. it was a fantastic game. Amazing. It really was. Came down to an amazing play, and we'll get to that highlight in a second as we break it down. However, my co-host today, a voice you already know, Curtis Rogers. Hey, how's it going? Arizona alum, buddy, bear down.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm bear down bad this yeah, morning. You but sure are. it's it's not the end of the world for my Wildcats. But no one cares about my Wildcats after last night because it, it, today is about the Cougs and what they were able to do down in Tucson, uh, and, and just not only show the Pac-12 that they are a force to be reckoned with this season, but really show the college basketball landscape. Like, hey, this is a team worth paying attention to, and They're starting to get attention paid to them, not by just us here at Seattle Sports you know, we're the Cougs flagship station after all Uh, those of us in the local media know last night even after their win you saw guys like Scott Van Pelt tweeting about it Uh, all sorts of all sorts of national people who cover college basketball and are just national sports personalities paying attention to what the Cougs have done this season and paying attention to the coaching job that Kyle Smith has Mm -hmm. done this year Uh, yeah the Cougs are for real and the Cougs are, are absolutely for real after what they did last night uh, to my Arizona Wildcats number four Can Arizona. I
2: say by the way I yes. know you said look we didn't come here today to talk about Arizona not you know we're not going to focus on Arizona but it is so rare uh, to have an alum of a team on the other side of such a big <laughs> game. Do you care if I read the text you sent uh, I, the group yesterday? What?
1: is it safe for for air? air.
2: It's just so funny. I laughed out loud and I sent it to another. If anyone was wondering how Arizona's feeling uh, this morning, this was a text sent to the group from Arizona alum Curtis Rogers. Quote, I got my car broken into this month and I'd take that night over tonight.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The most most frustrating thing for me last night was like having the 74-71 lead with just like, you know, a handful of seconds left and then Jalen Wells. I mean, a shot that I don't think any coog fan is ever going to forget Oof. the four point play
0: off a screen top of the key for the tie bracket front iron no good rebound yaki in the lane Dishes it left wing for the tie wells he hits it and he got fouled. and he got fouled four point play in tucson jalen wells 24.6 left can you believe it with a smile on his face. Jalen Wells, a four point try and a free throw coming for the lead.
1: Jalen Wells is the best player on the court last night. Mm -hmm. He was unconscious. He hit, I think eight threes in the game. Uh, Only three players hit a three pointer in the game last night. Uh, Two for Arizona. Uh, most of them coming from Kayla love and then Jalen Wells last night, just going off. Uh, he could not miss. And Arizona had such a hard time guarding him and closing out on the perimeter uh, specifically with him. They did a great job. I, I think of, of locking down miles rice, who has been the focal point of Washington state's offense this season, but it's not just a one one horse race uh, yes. with the Cougs like they've got multiple weapons they can use Isaac Jones down low uh, Jalen Wells last night shooting uh, even Yakimovsky last night was getting in going to the paint something he doesn't normally do I thought the Cougs plan of attack last night against Washington State or against uh, Arizona was phenomenal because they basically did what they always do they imposed their will on Arizona they played their style of basketball forcing Arizona to get uncomfortable and then defensively Washington State packing the paint, mm-hmm. not allowing Arizona to get any really good looks down low, forcing them to shoot. And Arizona's shooters, ball, bo- or uh, you got Larson Boswell. And Caleb Love. Caleb Love was the only guy, really, to get anything going offensively for them.
2: Yeah, they got nothing from point guard play.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, the Cougs were the better team last night, and uh, I I don't want to face them again in the Pac-12 tournament as an Arizona <laughs> alum, but uh, just seeing how, how much better these two teams are than the rest of the conference, it kind of feels like we're going to get a third chapter of this story in also Vegas. Also
2: worth mentioning that these two teams were at very different places in preseason rankings for the conference. Like, I, I have right. to let... Uh, Coug fans do their victory dance this morning and tell everyone to eat crow this morning or everyone else to eat crow this morning, considering uh, that the Cougs were number 10 in the preseason Pac-12 media poll rankings. Arizona Wildcats obviously were number one, and they're an amazing team. Of course, they're number one. I would have put them number one, too. But um, I don't think many people saw what Kyle Smith has been able to do this season. I am glad you mentioned Jalen Wells' uh, jumper, not only because it was an amazing play, um, but also because. A lot of people are talking about, uh, was it love slipping? Yeah. Like in Arizona, y- your take this morning was everyone's talking about the wrong moment.
1: Yeah, Caleb loves slipping with four seconds to go. The final look, really, that Arizona got to try and tie the game. That, I mean, that's not his fault, that's no one's fault. The play that, like, I think most people should be looking at is that four-point play. Mm-hmm. Like, what is Arizona doing fouling in that situation? That's the like, mistake. You let, yeah. You, even if he makes that shot, it's a tie ball game. You cannot give Washington State any opportunity to take a lead at that point. But, hey, Kooks fans... I, Every Coog fan I know in my life, I think, hit me up last night just to, you know, rub it in Talk a little trash. bit. Yeah. <laughs> <And I'm laughs> hey, like, you know. I, there's nothing I can say. You yeah. know, when
2: you're at the top of the mountain, it's easier to punch up. It, it, you feel less <laughs> guilty. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. But, I mean, look, for I think the last few weeks, we as a show have kind of been looking at the Cougs as like, you yeah, know, this is an interesting story. Like, mm-hmm. hey, they're stacking some wins together. Like, this is, a, this is kind of fun. But now a win like that. Do you think it maybe kind of changes what we think of them going forward? Because you beat one of the top ranked teams in the country, a team that is still, even after their loss last night, being projected as a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, according to Joe Linardi. Uh So even with that loss, Arizona is still one of the country's best teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do we now consider Washington state to be, one of the country's best teams, or at least a team capable of knocking anyone off.
2: If you don't want to consider them one of the country's best teams, then consider them one of the country's toughest teams, maybe one of the best stories. You have to do something. And as far as changing perception nationally, absolutely. You mentioned Scott Van Pelt. You mentioned Tate Frazier, all these guys who uh, follow sports closely. But, I mean, if you weren't listening to Chaz now and the play-by-play that was obviously Koog play-by-play, on uh, Seattle Sports, and you were watching the national broadcast. You think about the way the broadcasters were talking about this Washington team. It was like, if Washington State loses, excuse me, not Washington, if Washington State loses, like they've proven so much here. Mm. It sounded like even the broadcasting crew was surprised. Tate Fraser joined us talking about how uh, that 11-point spread didn't feel uh, quite right, and it, I think that they could have lost and shifted perception, so winning does that even more.
1: Absolutely. Even if the Cougs had lost, there would... That performance, I think, was eye-opening enough. But the fact that they were able to pull out the victory, and especially when it got tight at the end, uh, when they were down 74 seventy-four, seventy-one, with twenty-four seconds to go, and Wells hits that three to take the lead, uh, that really showed. I think the like just moxie of this team, mm-hmm. and in those situations, coaching really stands out. And Kyle Smith the job he is doing with this Wazoo team this year is finally starting to get that recognition too, uh, where he's being added to the national coach of the year, the Naismith coach of the year watch list after last night's performance. And I think that's very deserving because of all the players that left the program, Uh, after last season in the transfer portal you didn't really know what this Cougs team was going to be like going into 2023 2024 and here they are four games away from locking up the number one seed in the Pac-12 tournament and getting that automatic buy into the uh, semifinals in the Pac-12 tournament and really just kind of punching their ticket in a way to the NCAA tournament. I, I still think they might have a little bit of work left to do because the next four games that they play, let's take a look at the schedule coming up. At ASU, ASU is not good this year. USC, they're not My good Washington this year. My Washington you Huskies. Your Washington Huskies. I hate to break it to you, <laughs> Stacey. They're not very good this year. And then UCLA, that's the wild card to me. In total, UCLA has not been good this year. You're at home. But as of late, the Bruins have been stacking some wins. And they do have a lot of talent on their roster. Um, So that, to me, is the game I'm circling uh, of the four remaining games Mm -hmm. for Washington State. You can't afford to slip up because if you do, you only have a half-game lead over Arizona. Arizona has five games remaining. Wazoo only has four. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be able to make sure that you don't lose any of those four games that you got remaining. Now, three of those four are at Beasley Coliseum a you are going to have a home court advantage out of the remainder of your games so uh hopefully that the Cougs can take care of business and lock up that number 1 seed in the Pac-12 tournament and clinch their first regular season crown since what 1940 1941 pre World War II or Which at least, least pre United States involvement in World War II that's <laughs> the
2: thing anytime you want to go like pre World War II uh that's that says enough in itself um you uh You mentioned taking a look at the rest of the season. To jump ahead and look at the tourney, and I don't mean to, but we're going to be uh, talking about this team either way uh, in the tourney uh Tate Frazier of The Ringer was on with us yesterday. We've mentioned him already. We've mentioned the Cougs as a hard out in the tournament. This is specifically uh what he really, really likes. Uh, Washington
0: State's a hard out for anybody, and uh they can battle back in games. And like I said, they, they have an identity, they know who they are. And I think Kyle is a really good coach. And uh I, I see now people are talking about him potentially being coach of the year um nationally. So we don't hear that often, but uh it kind of evokes, you know, the the old days of George Raveling or Tony Bennett or even Dick. In it. So it's good company for Kyle Smith.
2: He continued talking about, you know, hey, you, they have guard play. They have amazing size. They're just a really good team. And what I like about that in particular, Curtis, is that sometimes when you want to talk about a team as a tough out, there's all kinds of different reasons that you might say that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's like, oh, they're plucky. You know, they're so hard to predict. They're a tough out because they're just unpredictable. You never know what they can do. I appreciate that Washington State is a tough out specifically because the way they're coached and the way they're built.
1: Yeah, they just don't allow... They don't make many mistakes, and that was something that they took advantage of a lot last night. Arizona was kind of sloppy with the turnovers. Mm-hmm. Arizona also missed a ton of free throws last night. I think they were under 60% as a team from the line. Those
2: in the turnovers, the difference in the game, really. Exactly. You look at rebounds, you look at everything else, and, and in it's a, a mirror yeah, image.
1: In a three-point game like that, yeah. absolutely. And the Cougs were able to convert a lot of uh, the mistakes that Arizona made. And one other thing that I took note of in the in the first half of the game that I was like, are my eyes like deceiving me is that Arizona had no fast break points in the first half and they live to run up and down the court. The game prior to the Wazoo game, Arizona had put, I think 105 up on ASU uh, and they just love to get out and transition and just play their game. It's a very fast paced game and Washington State did not allow them to get comfortable at all in that first half. Now, they Arizona started out in the second half. I think they got six fast break points in the first three minutes. Uh, so they were able to find something there. But again, after that, it never got to Arizona's pace. They never got comfortable. Yeah. It, was, it was in control by the Cougs really from, I would say, about the first TV timeout, which was four minutes into the game the very end like it was just never a game that Arizona got comfortable in
2: I love hearing it too because I was listening to uh, an Arizona podcast this morning kind of looking at the other side of things what it looks like from the other perspective and they did have a lot of respect for the Cougs but uh, one common piece of sentiment was like look the Cougs didn't drastically outp- outplay Arizona which statistically they didn't I mean the difference in this game like you mentioned uh, was in, in part turnovers with Arizona having more and when you have a close game like this every tiny thing you know, fouling with 24 seconds left. Like, those little things make the difference, a four-point play. Um, but uh, it is interesting to hear the other angle of, like, well, yeah, the Kooks didn't drastically outplay them, but you don't have to drastically outplay to be in control and to play your game. And to, to make a team play the way you want them to and play to your own strengths mm-hmm. because you won't let them do what they want is controlling a game, and that is a really hard thing to do, and that is what the feeling was watching this one.
1: And I think what made last night so spectacular for Cougs fans is that in college basketball, it is – so incredibly difficult to win on the road, especially a true road environment, because home teams get so many favorable calls from refs. And then obviously the, the environment is hostile. You've got student sections that are saying whatever they want to you uh, and to be able to block out that noise and really kind of look on phase. Uh, just a testament to what this Cougs program is under Kyle Smith. Uh, pay that man. Pay that man right now. Back up the Brinks truck. You got to. You keep should. Him. Did you
2: mention the buyout?
1: Yeah. So I was doing some reading before last night's game. Uh, Jeff Borzello, who covers college basketball for ESPN.com, he had his list of you know jobs to watch in college basketball uh, that might open up mm. or or whatnot. Open up with a guy getting hired elsewhere or firing, and obviously Mike Hopkins was on that list. Um, but he had Washington State's job to watch because I mean Kyle Smith obviously is going to be in demand. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned his buyout. This is and, crazy. And, you know, we're used to seeing buyouts like seven six, million. seven million. Kyle Smith's buyout is only seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars.
2: That's very affordable.
1: <laughs> and then after the tournament it drops down to five hundred thousand. Pat Chun. Lock him up, man. You need to do whatever it takes to keep Kyle Smith in Pullman for the long haul. Um,
2: speaking of, uh, you know, moving some money around and paying guys, there is uh, some news about Juno Smith's contract getting restructured. We're going to get to that at 1030. Before we do, let's get to headline rewrites. Extra, extra
0: real- Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacey.
3: <laughs> The Seahawks have restructured Geno Smith's contract, converting his $9.6 million
1: roster bonus into a signing bonus. What's the real headline?
2: It sure feels like Gino's going to be the starter in 2024, Curtis.
1: Getting that feeling. Getting that vibe. I mean, nothing's set in stone yet. Absolutely not. But... They guaranteed his money, what, about a week ago, the, like, 13th? 12.7. Yeah. And then this money was due, supposed to be due March 18th, but instead they move it up, convert it. Like they've already basically locked themselves into like twenty one million, twenty two million with Gino, right?
2: And they didn't have to do that. They could have uh, traded Geno Smith before March eighteenth, and then not had to pay the nine point six million. Now, if you are, you know, if you love having Gino here and you just want that kind of feeling that you know what's going to happen at quarterback, maybe you read into that and you say this is a sign to me that they're keeping Gino. Um, however. Uh, restructures aren't this mutually agreed upon thing it's a decision the team makes they could also have done that to just move some money around free up cap space which before we found out about the nfl's official salary cap this morning cleared up a good amount i think that they're now uh, under it but they were going from like five million over to you know four hundred and fifty thousand or whatever so it was a nice way to uh, clear up some cap space for this year move some money around effectively make gino a one-year deal once again It also uh, credit to Bob Condotta for pointing this out. Technically, made his 2024 salary cap hit more manageable, which still opens the door for a trade. Like it's, I to me, my headline rewrite is: It feels like Gino's going to be the starter in 2024 because there's just more reasons that it makes sense than not. But I want to make clear that I'm not saying that is what it means.
3: Headline rewrites. headline rewrites. The Mariners start their Cactus League schedule tomorrow against the White Sox. What's the real headline?
2: At least the Mariners won't be the brokest team on the field.
1: <laughs> Hide the, money, the White y'all. Sox are real, real <laughs> bad with the money. It's
2: going to feel good to walk in there and be like, look at these poor people.
1: I remember uh, when Shohei Otani was a free agent, a White Sox beat writer tweeted something where they were like, here's my pitch to Shohei Otani. <laughs> I'm going to offer you a contract that's $75 million over six years. I'm going to make you the highest paid White Sox of all time. (laughs) I don't think they've ever paid anybody more than $100 million in their franchise's history.
2: It's it's weird because while I don't follow the White Sox closely, weren't they recently in a place where they were gonna rebuild they were on the yeah. come up they had some nice prospects and what was they, the story with the? and then they just it, they just never put their burned. finishing
1: touches on it exactly. they made the playoffs I think in 2021 with a pretty young ball club guys like Luis Robert yeah uh, you had uh, you had the pieces Jimenez. that were making White Sox yeah, fans Dylan very excited. Cease. exactly you had a lot of young players on that roster And it looked like this was going to be an up-and-coming team in the AL Central. And then all of a sudden, they just never put the surrounding pieces uh, to get them over the hump. And then last year, they entered into another rebuild. It's just
2: such a weird, we don't know what goes on, you know, in a front office or what kind of pressure comes from ownership or what happens. But it's like making a cake, not frosting it, leaving it on the counter and just walking away. And it's like, what was the point of it? You had most of it. You had a good chunk of it done. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. What was the point of this? The hard you didn't part was over. It, then yeah. you didn't get to eat it. It just—I know that that's not a perfect analogy, but it's—it's it's always weird to me to take substantial steps mm. and to have nice momentum and then just turn away and from then it. Just
1: get scared. Scared money don't make money. Mm-mm. Headline rewrites. The NFL's 2024 salary cap has officially been set at a whopping $255.4 million, up more than $30 million from last year. What's the real headline?
2: John Schneider might just buy himself an extra player as a treat now. For just real? Just a little treat.
1: I saw that makes the Seahawks cap space go from essentially zero yeah. to now $13 million. Hello.
2: Now, you're going to need more than that. I know yeah. that we feel like we did it, but you need to keep in mind, Obviously, signing free agents, yes, but also you've got to bring in your draft drafted players. And I thought this was a fascinating piece of insight from John Schneider. In addition to all the little bonuses you have, incentives that might get triggered, you have to hold money for practice squad players that get elevated. There's a, so much that is beyond my ability to comprehend that goes into the salary cap. It's so much more complicated than just you got $13 million and you can fit this player in here. So just know you're going to need more space. But that is good news. Great news for the Seahawks this morning.
1: One thing I'm expecting from a salary cap explosion like this is increased player salaries. It reminds me a lot of the NBA, the year that the Warriors won 73 games, and then they were able to add, add Kevin Durant the following year because the league's salary cap exploded an extra like $30 million mm-hmm. because of the TV deal that they had just signed with like ESPN and Turner Sports to where you could add a, a max player uh, in addition to what was already on your roster. I wonder if we're going to see player salaries because of this salary cap explosion. Cause I can't ever remember a time I've seen it gone up $30 million in one offseason. Like that's a significant amount of money uh, being given to each team. Now there are obviously some teams that are going to be like, eh, we'll, we'll roll it over to next yeah. year. Um, but if I'm one of these free agents at the top of the market, if I'm Chris Jones and I'm seeing this, I'm like, heck yeah, well, baby. And
2: what's really interesting to me so you have a couple teams that have a lot to spend and have also made their intentions to spend very clear. The Patriots are one of those teams where they're going to be very comfortable hitting free agency in a way that prior to that one kind of wild free agency they had, we hadn't been used to seeing. They have a hundred and uh, let's see, cap space. No, not a hundred. Uh, they have 74, second most, 74.1 million to spend. The Bears have the third most so they could get the number 1 overall pick Caleb Williams and then go in and bring him some great weapons with some really intriguing wide receivers like Mike Evans, T Higgins. We're both anticipating that both of those players will stay with their current teams, but they are both free agents. Like there's some with that extra 30 million in space. For those top teams at the mm-hmm. very very top, suddenly you're looking at some of these free agent names that are bigger and more interesting going How quickly can the Commanders with the most cap space, Patriots or Bears, turn their seasons around with this much money?
1: And then also the impact it has on a guy like Geno Smith and his contract. All of a sudden, his salary cap number, a lot more manageable with this extra $30 million.
2: Well, let's go over a bit more of what that means coming up next.
1: Bump and Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross hey,
3: Stacy, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but I'm going to anyway. We actually have a caller on the line. Mike and Pullman wants to talk to you guys. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, wow. sure.
2: Uh hey Mike, how's it going?
0: Stacy and Curtis, did you think <laughs> I was going to <laughs> ah, Curtis?
2: I knew it. I knew
0: wow. it. What happened last night over again? I mean, the number four team ranked in the country could not get it done against my Cougs. And you know what the best part about this is? Curtis waited until I could not open the door again to yell, Bear Down, right before I left yesterday. <laughs> right? And I couldn't respond. So I had to hit you with some, Curtis. I love you. And I know that I hurt last night, but your boy's on cloud nine. Sign. So I love
1: you, Bump. Bump, uh, I appreciate
2: that you are off today Yeah, and yet and still, still need to sure. take a victory lap. Like, hey, hey, wait, I got to call I in. Think,
1: Go I, Matt, I think you need to do a better job of screening the calls. Uh, I'm not back there today to help you. <laughs> I don't know how we could let this this on the air. But no, Bump, congrats to your kooks. Like, for real, I I have tried my best to not be a hater uh, over the course of the first 30 doing minutes a good job. of this show. I think I'm doing no, you a aren't decent doing job. It. You're doing a good job. Uh, yeah, the kooks were absolutely phenomenal last night. And... Uh, tip of the cap uh, to you and your your fellow Cougs because uh, look, I mean, we've talked about it 1941, I think was the last time you guys won a regular season, packed old title, pack anything title, so uh, it's on the you guys are on the doorstep, so Do it, Bob. Let's see. Backhanded compliment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we won won the conference the last
1: two years. So, you know.
0: (laughs) But I mean, hey. Trivia. You don't need extra credit right now, Curtis, okay? (laughs) Let's just live in the moment. I appreciate you. I I was hoping that you would talk a little more crap to me prior so I could come on and just
1: do what we do. But
0: I got so much love for you. You know what I mean? I just, I had to sprinkle a little bit. I'm like Salt Bay. I had to sprinkle just a little (laughs) bit out there. (laughs) and uh, let you know that the nation was watching. Baby. I'm just
1: hoping that, you know, with this win, there's more than 2,700 at Beasley Coliseum next game. That's that's all I'm hoping. <laughs> wow,
2: Curtis!
1: <laughs> Curtis! Bump, bump. Tell
2: me where Jalen Wells' four-point play now ranks in great moments for you.
0: Oh, uh, man, that's top five all-time, easily. Top five all-time, easily, man. No, no, honestly, man, I watched that game. There was a moment when... Um, I think it was like 11-13, to 13, and you felt like Arizona was going to turn a corner and run away with it, but mm-hmm. the Cougs just kept responding. I didn't realize they were the tallest team in the country either. So, um, you know, Smith's doing a great job over there. We know Arizona is a team that's going to get into the tourney and do their thing. Uh, the Cougs were, you know, we're hoping for a, a regular season championship and, and an invite, which if we handle business, we should do that. But, you know, it's not it's not many times. It's been since 2008 I got to, you know, talk a little something about my Cougs, man. So I'm proud of them, man. And and Curtis, you know us all love, but I, I had to call in and, and, and say what up before I hop on this plane.
1: I would have been disappointed had you not called That's in, true. <laughs> all right,
0: that's all I wanted. You guys, uh, you know, carry on. Stacy. keep doing what you're doing. Glad you sound better. Curtis, appreciate you filling in for your boy. <laughs> all
2: right, all right Bob. Bob. Good hearing from you, man. Right, we love you. Care.
0: Bye, love you guys.
2: Uh, all right. Well, that was an uh, interesting, interesting caller. Did
3: you, Matt, did you coordinate
2: that behind the scenes with Bump? Did he text you and say, I need to call in immediately?
3: No. It was just
1: of the moment. <laughs>
2: uh, no. It's, uh, of course, we had to get Bump on to talk some a little bit of trash. A little bit of trash talk. I mean, yeah. he can't have his team have this huge win and not call right. us from Pullman the next morning.
1: Right. Boy.
2: I know. Well, um,
1: C- congrats, uh, uh, you know, it is very, congrats. Very cool. He was able to find a pay phone and pull them in. So, okay, it. Curtis,
2: we're, we're moving <laughs> on. Uh, Gino got his contract restructured. Does it tell us anything about his future with the Seahawks? Here's the good news. We already have some sound from John Schneider. The John Schneider show was yesterday with Wyman and Bob. And so we've got the latest from the GM talking about how this was done.
3: It's actually part of the negotiation when, when we do these deals and it's just a, it's a trigger that's in there. It's a roster bonus that's converted to signing bonus. So a roster bonus is just a cap, uh, like for cap purposes, you could take a roster bonus, we can, and there's language in the contract, we convert to a signing bonus, and then it's spread out over the duration of the contract. So that creates more capital for us. You know, we can, you know, we did this, you know, big, you know, negotiation, convert roster bonus to signing bonus. You know, Matt Thomas does a really nice job of working that in as an option for us throughout the process so that at any given time, if we feel the need, we can, move that into signing bonus and and, and create more capital.
2: Curtis answer with just your gut instinct and gut reaction to this question. Was this a financial decision or a vote of confidence?
1: I think it was a financial decision because at no point yesterday did John Schneider, you know, kind of end all doubt and be like, yep, Gino's our guy. Like there was never any doubt that we were going to bring him back or anything like that. I, and to John Schneider's credit, like, w- what good would it be for him if he did cut off sort of those lines of communication with other teams that are, you know, looking for a quarterback and yeah. saying, hey, we can offer you a second-round pick for Geno. We can offer you a first-round pick for Geno Smith. Like, Schneider would have to entertain those conversations. Like, he, he would be failing at his job if he did not do that. Um we didn't know what the salary cap was going to be for 2024 yesterday when this interview happened and this move freed up uh, a few million dollars in cap space. Uh, So because of that, the Seahawks were able to, I think get under the salary cap just by the tiniest of margins Mm -hmm. before today, learning that they were going to have 13 extra million dollars to work with because of a a salary cap explosion. Um, But yeah, yesterday Schneider, I didn't get, really settled by anything that he had to say on Gino and the restructure of his contract um do i think Gino's back in 2024 yes i do and i think he's deserving of the starting job because i look at the quarterback market right now stacy and like it's Kirk Cousins, Russell Wilson, assuming Russell Wilson, that he gets released by the Broncos. Yeah, and, and Russ has not been and look, the. Russ, you're not
2: reuniting with Russell no, Wilson. I threw him happening. out there because technically I think he'll be available, but like there is no Russell Wilson reunion yeah. in Seattle. Kirk Cousins is going to be far too expensive with far too many bidders. Mm-hmm. He is going to be like the number two pursued free agent outside of Chris Jones.
1: And you don't have the draft picks at your disposal to really trade up and, and draft one of like Caleb Williams, Drake May, or Jaden. Unless Daniels. you
2: do future picks.
1: Yeah. Which but then I don't know we've he'll seen do. here, especially with like the Jamal Adams trade, how future picks can really come back to bite you because one of those picks that the Seahawks gave the Jets turned out to be, I think, what the number nine overall Garrett pick. Wilson. Garrett Wilson.
2: Yeah, it's uh, I, I say this not to like intentionally mud- muddy the waters, excuse me, or, you know, kind of be like, what's going to happen? We don't know. I say it because I think that uh, a fair reading of this is that it was a financial decision, that it makes things financially easier for the Seahawks uh, for Gino to get that money up front. It effectively creates a one year deal. Um and also because I still don't know that I personally, me, Stacy, not GM of the Seahawks, not head coach of the Seahawks, think that Geno Smith is their best option for 2024, though I would love to see them, whether this season, you know, somewhat soon take a young quarterback, because given that Geno's 33, I just think that that's naturally where you start to look. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that you're right. That's not John Schneider. John Schneider's job is not necessarily to publicly say Gino is our guy and we're so excited for him. Maybe if they, you know, if you have a, a guy that you very clearly are invested in, you need mm-hmm. to make a public statement. But um, he, he's in a place where he needs to keep all those options open, like you said. Yeah. And, you know, privately he might think, you know, Gino's great. We feel comfortable for Gino for 2024. This is fantastic. We were going to pay this $9 million anyways. Let's get some wiggle room. That's certainly something that could be going on. Um, But I think it's important to just kind of clarify, like, you know, hey, here's what it means to us. You know what I mean? You can read into it what you will, uh, but here's some additional context for what all of that money stuff meant yesterday. Yeah,
1: and Schneider's always been a guy that's played his cards close to the vest. And uh, Pete, when he was here, was a guy that was a lot more public in his support with guys. Schneider, I can't recall ever grabbing the mic and, and being like, this is our guy. Like, I don't recall a time where Schneider has, you know, stood on the soapbox and been like, this is my guy through thick and thin. Mm-hmm. Whereas Pete did that all the time. He did that with Gino. He did that with Ross. He did that with, you know, all sorts of other players. Like, I'm, I'm not going to give up on these guys. And uh, just seeing kind of how the dynamic is bet- or was between Schneider and Carroll. I think they they were such a good balance for each other. Uh where, you know, Schneider wasn't as, you know, vocal about things. Yeah, as Pete they have is.
2: naturally different roles and yeah. responsibilities.
1: Whereas now I in. think I think McDonald's a lot more reserved than Pete is. So I I don't know if we're going to see those moments of head coach or president of football operations kind of put their neck out there for for one guy or another.
2: All right, well speaking of what they should do in the draft, whether that includes taking a quarterback, one draft expert reveals what he thinks the Hawks should do at number 16. That's next.
0: Bumpin' Stacy.
1: Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacey Rost.
2: Curtis Rogers in for Michael Bumpus today. Kraken winger Jared McCann joining us in 15 minutes before we get to Jared talking about that Kraken win. One draft expert reveals what he thinks the Seahawks should do at pick number 16. We got a couple choices that Daniel Jeremiah went over with Brock and Salk. So let's start with who he has mocked to Seattle. Texas defensive tackle Byron Murphy.
3: Byron Murphy's, uh, you know, he's he's going to, you'll see him at the combine. He's probably going to run in the four eights at 305 pounds, well, a little bit shorter, but he is very dynamic. He's the best defensive tackle on tape in this, in this draft. So um a really, really disruptive, strong, strong kid. So um that's why I kind of looked on that side of the ball. They've got some young pieces I like on that defense, but just continuing to add uh up front, I think would be a, uh, would be a nice fit.
2: Curtis, yesterday when Bump and I were talking about the team's greatest need at pick number 16, I said, forget the depth of the position. Like, you know, it's, you know, you probably wouldn't take, um, you know, a linebacker or an off-ball linebacker at 16 maybe with this class. But um, at least that was according to, I think, Matt Miller. I can't quite remember. But just look at need. And Bump said defensive tackle, interior defensive tackle, no hesitation whatsoever. That's who I'm taking.
1: Yeah, I could not agree more with with Bump on that. Uh, you can never have enough great defensive linemen, whether it be on the interior or on the outside. And if Byron Murphy is that guy at 16, I am all for it because that, to me, I feel like has been a position that the CX have needed to draft for quite some time and just have never gotten around to it. Or or maybe they've tried to do it later on in the draft with a guy who may not have as much upside as a first or second round pick. I felt like last year they kind of heaped a lot of expectations onto Cam Young, and I don't necessarily think he was ready for that. No.
2: At the time, though, for a minute, they didn't have Jaron Reed.
1: Right. And they brought him in uh, in the, what, second wave of free agency. Yeah, something
2: like that. But also we weren't expecting Jaron to be... A more traditional nose tackle
1: mm-hmm. and so I- interior of the defensive line is so incredibly important to like everything that you do defensively you look at the chiefs chris jones is a mauler mm. he is a game wrecker if it wasn't for aaron donald people would probably consider chris jones to be the best uh defensive lineman or at least you know before, like, Micah Parsons got on the scene. But, you know, Dallas is another team that has had tremendous defensive line play. And who did the Seahawks go out and hire as their defensive coordinator?
2: One Adam Dirty.
1: Who was the defensive line coach of the Dallas Cowboys uh, for the last three seasons? I would imagine having a defensive coordinator come from the defensive line like Dirty, uh, he's going to have a lot of say, or at least he's going to be pounding the table, I think, for interior help on the defensive line because I'm sure that McDonald sees it, Dirty sees it, Leslie Fra- Leslie Frazier probably sees it. There's a heavy defensive influence on this coaching staff, and uh, I think You know, looking at what the Seahawks' biggest problem has been over the last five, six years, it's been the defense.
2: Easily, and those trenches are what has separated the Rams and 49ers to a larger extent from the Seattle Seahawks. Every national expert we've had on, we've always said, how did they close the gap? How did they close the gap? They've never looked and said, oh, if only DK could get 1,300 yards or, oh, you know, if only they could get another 1,000 yard back. (laughs) That would be phenomenal. Um, It's it's always been the trenches. It's so hard uh, not to look at that as being... Um, such a fueling uh, catalyst for so many teams. I mean, the Eagles had one of the best offensive lines uh, in football last year. Their defense kind of you know, gave way, and they lost too much in the offseason. Um, but that was a big part of the reason they were even mostly competitive you know, until they got into that losing streak. Obviously, you look at the Chiefs making huge upgrades on their offensive line and free agency following their Super Bowl loss to Tampa. And then, of course, having great defensive players. You mentioned Chris Jones. You look at the 49ers, you already know what's there. Um, And Seattle just hasn't been able to have that personnel. Now, I say all of that, and I know, I know that there are people listening going, I don't care. I don't care about a defensive tackle. I don't care about an offensive lineman. I don't care about a center. Get me a quarterback. That's not
1: the fun draft picks. It's Uh, not. No offense to
2: offensive or defensive lineman.
1: I had a friend. I still have a friend. He's a radio host. And he has made it his goal for there to be two separate drafts, the skill position draft and the lineman draft, and put the lineman draft on you know Amazon Prime where <laughs> that, if you really want to so watch mean. it, you'll go find it. But put <laughs> the skill so, position guys so on horrible. you know you know ABC primetime. Have an Thursday entire red night. carpet exactly. segment too. Of course you know there's
2: wide receivers going down with yeah, yeah, like prop shirts and like when
1: you, you know. When you're watching linemen tape you're still trying to figure out, all right, which guy am I looking at? Because yeah. they have to put the spotlight on him. <laughs> but when it's a quarterback, when it's a running back, when it's a wide receiver, you don't need that little like yellow ring around them to be like, oh, that's the guy who I should be watching. Now,
2: here. obviously – Watching quarterbacks, watching wide receiver, wide receiver play, watching running backs is more fun, and that's what people are going to be looking at too with a team with a 33 year old quarterback who not everyone is sold on. Again, you and I have talked about thinking Gino is their best option for 2024. There are people going, "Well, Daniel Jeremiah, why can't you get a quarterback?"
3: With where I have him right now, that would be uh, it. Would definitely be a conversation. It would be a discussion. But I always, you know, I would I would look at it and say am I confident this is a clear upgrade over what you've had in Gino over the last couple of years? And I would say at this point in time, I don't, I couldn't answer that, that with, um, you know, very confident. This is an upgrade over what we already have. And I think Gino's, you know, quote unquote window is still open or you still have some good football you can get out of him. I think I would probably go to the line of scrimmage.
2: Curtis, there's a little bit of a conundrum where, On the one hand, DJ says, unless you're confident you're getting a clear upgrade over Geno, you should go line of scrimmage, and we know that's where Seattle needs help. However, next year's quarterback class isn't as strong. So if you are sold on someone, now would be the time.
1: Right, yeah, you're playing with fire if you're going into a quarterback class that you're very unsure of, but I think DJ also said there are a couple of guys that kind of pop out of nowhere, and I mean... I kind of look at, like, Jaden Daniels as a guy like that this year. I mean, he was a talented quarterback, but seeing him put it all together for LSU and having the Heisman Trophy season that he did and now uh, sitting as kind of, like, quarterback number 3, I don't think anybody had really projected him as that prior to the 2023 college football Mm. season. You see guys... Uh, kind of come out of nowhere. Like Joe Burrow, for example, LSU at LSU, uh, was a solid quarterback uh, for the Tigers for, you know, the one season prior to his Heisman Trophy winning year. And then all of a sudden throws for like sixty touchdowns, five thousand yards, and becomes Joe Burrow, as we know him now,
2: and becomes cool Joe
1: exactly. So just because the quarterback class right now for twenty twenty five doesn't look as strong as the top of twenty twenty four does. I'm still not going to sit here and say like it'll it'll remain that way throughout the course of this upcoming college football season. What was it uh the quarterback class where Kenny Pickett was the first one taken? That was 22. It's 22 I think. Yeah, I boy, that one, I don't know if any quarterback class is going to be as bad as that one. That was horrible. That was Brock Purdy's the best I mean one eventually it class. will. Yeah.
2: Eventually, eventually it'll sure. be bad, but sure. it's always interesting. I mean even bump yesterday was like uh, outside of Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields might be the second best quarterback to come from uh the twenty twenty one, I think, class. Right? Twenty twenty one. Yes. Um, which so sometimes guys develop in ways you don't expect. Like for all we know, JJ McCarthy becomes the best quarterback from this class. For all usually the number one might be great. so like maybe it's Caleb and someone else. For all we know it's a fifth rounder who turns things up and suddenly, you know, takes the league by storm. Like you really never know. And I think that that's the thing that some people who want that young quarterback look at, too. Uh, All right. We're switching gears. We're talking about the Kraken with winger Jared McCann. He joins us next.